1: Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay,
0: And I'm Mark DeVoe. And we'd like to say welcome. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, we'd like to welcome you to the family. Uh, oh. To all our... Experiment's all writing along. But we'd also like to say a big thank you to all of our patrons and Academy members from the Bestseller Academy for supporting this podcast and making it uh, show up every week to keep bringing you what is now 460-odd episodes, marks kind of insane, isn't it, really, when you stand back and look at it? But if you would like to be one of that merry crew that supports the podcast, if you get any kind of value from us, please consider popping along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Or if you'd like to join the Academy, we are opening up the doors today. So if you would like to come and apply for the Academy to start in September, the doors are now open. Please form an orderly queue. And um, you can do that by going to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com.
1: So Mark, how has your exceptionally long week been this week? It's been full of words, full of words. I've, I've, I've been loving. Um, I mean, I'm still in that lovely first draft land oh, where draft anything land. is possible. Draft land, yeah, that place we discussed a few weeks ago. Yeah. It's a lovely place. I, I love it there. I love it there. Uh, edit land uh, is a bit more rocky. I yeah. get lost a bit more there, but first draft land is is great because don't, it's, like, um... don't like the postman in edit land, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> but no, it's great. It's uh, it's it's all good, and I've. Um, it's, it's just finding, I wish, I do wish there were a few more hours in the day. Uh, but, uh, I'm not going to complain. I won't complain.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's, it is a struggle, isn't it? For, in fact, when we did a survey once that the number one, one reason that we discovered why people have not written that book that they know they need to write is time. Finding the time. It's time, finding the time. And even that phrase, finding the time, there is Mm. no time to find. It's, it's, 24 hours. That's all you got, folks. And yeah. and when you actually knock off whatever amount of time you have to sleep a day, which for me seven hours, I think I kind of average out. And if I'm lucky, um, you
1: know, I can feel
0: like a lion sometimes. Seven
1: hours a day, another eight at uh, night. Yeah, exactly, I mean. exactly
0: right. That's my afternoon nap. Um,
1: <laughs> but it it is actually.
0: I once did a little time study, and I did a and I was kind of blown away by the, of course I did, yeah, I did the spreadsheet mark and and I worked out how much by the time you take off sleep plus what I call the chores of life, the chores of life being all the things we have to do just to, to stay alive, eat, sleep, drink, not sleep, but I've said that, but you know, all the, all the things we have to do to, we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, keeping keeping a roof oh, on yeah. your, uh, uh, over, over you. And when you take all of those things and you look at what's left, it's a crazy tiny amount of time, which is why you have to be really, really, really precious with that time. And so a lot of the reasons why people have joined the Academy as an example, and we found this thing about time is that we structure, we make sure that they structure that time and get the most, most, they squeeze every, every drop out of that option to write. And that's where the books get written. It's in those those little fragments during the day. If you're, if you're working full time, if you're a parent, if you're volunteering, you know, if you've got a lot of other things you have to deal with, it's in those little fragments that the book does get written. So yeah. um, don't give up, folks. If you're, if you're kind of wondering how do you find the time, um, it's entirely possible. If you've got 15, 20 minutes a day, we've always talked about that, you can write a book. So keep on going. Now, totally. talking of writing books, Mark, uh, we've got... A, a
1: wonderful guest this week. Tell us about
0: Freya Berry.
1: Yeah, Freya Berry worked as a journalist at Reuters and after a stint in New York reporting on the 2016 US election. Can you imagine? Can you imagine reporting? Of all like, the a roller coaster, yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: That would have been a big one,
1: yeah. Uh, after that, she left to write her first novel, The Dictator's Wife. There's a title after the 2016 election, <laughs> anyway, which was published by Headline in 2022, and it was a smash hit. With her new novel, The Birdcage Library, Freya has ended up writing a love story and a detective mystery, which are two things she never planned to write. Uh, we discuss getting to know your characters like friends, writing about real people in the footnotes of history, and why Freya had to invent her own dictatorship.
0: Brilliant. Let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with
1: the well-travelled and inspirational Freya Berry. Freya Berry, welcome to the Best Seller Experiment podcast. How are you today?
2: Very well, thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me on.
1: Our absolute pleasure. And you've got this amazing new novel, The Birdcage Library. And I saw you tweet something the other day. You said, once at a writing workshop years ago, we were asked to jot down the two genres we thought we'd never try to write. Uh, I said love story and detective novel. Well, it turns out the Birdcage Library is both. So how did you end up writing something you thought you never would? <laughs>
2: um yeah, ill-advisedly, or maybe. Um, no, it was it, it kind of made me think. And, and it just wasn't something that I set out to do deliberately. Um, uh, but uh, my um uh when I was putting together the idea for the Birdcage Library, what what I like with books is um Uh, I heard once, you know, if you set out to write a story about a man who takes his dog for a walk um, and you end up writing that story, well, A, that would be a boring story, but um, (laughs) you've actually failed because the story has not changed. Um, The idea that you um, started with has not developed in any way. Mm. And so I started writing the Birdcage Library. It wasn't meant to be uh, a detective novel. It wasn't really meant to be a love story. And and somehow both of those things kind of made their way in, um, sort of elbowed their way in. And I thought, okay, this is happening. Let's just sort of go with it. And and, and, those are the moments where it, it's exciting, uh, where being a writer, you know, when you feel the story sort of come alive in your hands, I think you have to listen to those, to those moments, and pay attention, follow them. Yes. hopefully they won't lead you too far astray.
1: Well, they're, they're, it does feel very familiar. There they will often come a moment, usually halfway through a first draft, where I go, oh. That's what it's about.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now I know. Damn it. Now I have to go and reverse engineer everything else. Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I know it well.
1: <laughs> you can either fight it or go with it. Uh, what's What's also fascinating with this novel is you've got two perspectives. You've got Emily and Hester and they're characters who are 50 years apart, which sounds like a long time, but I turned 50 re- recently, so I'm saying it's not. So yeah. it does feel like the blink of an eye. Uh, what were the challenges in writing those two time periods those two timelines
2: Mm. well i swiftly realized um too late that doing a dual timeline novel particularly historical one is sort of double the research for Mm. um for the same amount of output so that was that was a great realization Um, no it was it, it was really fun in that um so part of it is set in 1930s um uh britain um in scotland mostly a scottish castle um, and part of it's set in uh, 1880s New York so the Gilded Age um which is just such a a fun era and um what I liked about it was you know i, I take a, I used to be a journalist so I think I'd take a relatively journalisty uh, journalistic approach to um to research I read up on it all um uh, you have to sort of get the feel of the period under your fingertips almost um so reading fiction but also a lot of non-fiction um, whether that's jb priestley for the 30s or edith wharton Mm. um uh for the for the 1880s but also like the memoirs of pt barnum for example who um uh the Gilded age is uh period is very much about exotic animals um Mm. hester my character is married to an exotic animal dealer so you know, get, getting that uh, really sort of into my mind so I could have out my fingertips was was fun. And then you want to take that or I did um, try to do this and, and find what's similar about these very different periods. Um, you know, the darkness beneath the spectacle that lies under the Gilded Age, um, that the hungry 30s, they're called um, from the 1930s perspective. Finding out what's um, what's making each period tick and where are the sort of comparisons that you can draw between them.
1: Those two very different headspaces to get into as well. Were you writing the the nineteen thirty sections in one go, and then doing the 1880s sections, or were you alternating mm-hmm. and having to reconfigure your headspace while you were doing that? How how much of a yeah. nightmare was that?
2: Yeah, um, so I wasn't above Googling how to write a dual timeline novel. Um, <laughs> I did that. <laughs> and basically, the answer is, there is no way, of course. That's with everything in writing. Um, figure it out yourself, really. Um, no, that's not quite true. I, I I looked at it and thought, actually, for me, I like to begin at the beginning and, and end at the end and see what, you know, because that leaves, for me, the the possibility of those meanderings we, we, we talked about. So I started with um, uh, just... Uh, as a brief summary, um, the Black Library follows yeah, t- these two women, um, uh, Emily Blackwood in the 1930s and then Hester um, in the 1880s. Um, Emily is called to um, uh, a Scottish castle. Uh, she's an adventuress, uh, kind of on the skids financially, and she discovers this um, old book. Um, which contains clues which lead her to the diaries of Hester Vogel hidden in the castle for decades, and so she kind of sets out on this treasure hunt and um, uh, to find the successive diaries and work out what happened to Hester who disappeared. So, um, uh, and Hester is the the wife of this exotic animal dealer, um, and has kind of entered this gilded cage of marriage, I suppose. Um, and so I. Started with Emily's and then just wrote Hester's when it felt like right. she had entered the story. But then inevitably, after I'd sort of written the thing, there was a lot of shuffling bits around after <laughs> the fact, and then painfully reverse engineering things. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: You mentioned the setting there. Uh, is it Eileen Donan, which is this amazing windswept castle? I saw a video of you up there recently. Um, yeah. Obviously, it always pays dividends to go to a location if you can. Uh what what were the sort of surprises you discovered when when researching there?
2: Yeah, so so Island Donan was definitely one of the inspirations. Uh, the setting um of that castle is, is beautiful. It's been used in James Bond for uh, crying out loud. Um it's got this causeway going over the lock, it's perfect. Mm. Um, I also spoke to a couple of other castle lads um who were talking about you know, how the wind was so strong, sometimes you can even open the front door, um, you know, uh, so so based on several different castles. But but yeah, um, so the interesting thing about writing this novel, um, particularly versus The Dictator's Wife, where I did, a, um, which was my first novel, where I did a lot of research for it, getting out there, traveling to Eastern Europe where it's set and speaking to people. Um, this one I wrote mostly during COVID, right? And so um, it was kind of anathema to me to not be able to go to, say, Tring Museum um, for... The large majority of the time, while I was writing, um, Tree Museums, um, the museum is the National Natural History Museum's um, uh, bird collection, where that's kept, um, and it's sort of uh, seen in the in the, in the book or the setting of it. And uh, so a lot of it was book bound. Uh, it felt strange to be writing a book about an explorer while I was unable to go anywhere. Um, so and frustrating. Um, so it was, yeah, a lot of reading, um, a lot of actually speaking to um, uh, my mother who went to Papua New Guinea, where Emily has just been as the story opens. Um, uh, and yeah, just just sort of swatting up, I suppose, with online research and, and, and books. So yeah, it was slightly frustrating, but then I guess also it was a different way of getting into the story, which I think ultimately worked in the end.
1: Mm. And you mentioned there's a there's a treasure hunt there. This is very much a kind, as you say, a detective story. What were the challenges in in writing uh, a detective story, which you know readers would expect twists and turns and revelations? Is that sort of thing you'd, as you say, you'd never expected to write one? So what were the, what were the big challenges there?
2: Yeah, sort of every single bit about it was challenging, <laughs> to be honest, because you never know how clever you're really being. Because obviously the whole point of the detective novel is to sort of pull the re- wool over the reader's eyes at strategic points. I'm a big fan of Agatha Christie. Um, to add to the pressure, you know, the 1930s is kind of the golden age of detective mm. fiction. So that's kind of intimidating as well. So I read, you know, I lo- read a lot of Christie anyway, Um, uh, but also, you know, um, those early detective novels, um, which kind of, I'd never heard of before. Um, you know, the Leavenworth case, um, no, Wilkie Collins, the woman in white, okay, more famous. Um, revelations of a lady detective, which I highly recommend for mm-hmm. if you like your female heroine, sort of carrying a revolver, uh, scandalously <laughs> sort of written in the 1860s. It's great. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was about getting those clues right. It took a long time um, in terms of working out what the framework of that is. Um, and yeah, it involves a lot more sort of tight plotting. Um, you have to be really disciplined. You can't just wander into it, which is something I like to do um, mm-hmm. and the rest of the other elements of the book. It was a lot of, I'm writing this down and planning it, planning it, planning it. Um, what are the steps that lead us to this point? So yeah, it's you have to pay attention. Can't be asleep at
1: the wheel. Definitely. Most definitely. You mentioned the dictator's wife there and you mentioned the research. And now, as I understand it, because you you worked in a newsroom, but to research Dictator's Wife you actually went to Eastern Europe for three months of research and found you went to Romania and immediately found yourself in the middle of a street protest tell us tell us about that
2: (laughs) yeah it was totally unplanned well I mean not going to Romania I'd obviously booked the ticket but um uh so yes the Dictator's Wife is set in an unnamed Eastern European country but um at the end of the Cold War and um the coming down of the Berlin Wall um, and that country is heavily based on, on Romania. So I booked myself a ticket uh, to Bucharest, one-way ticket. Um, just sort of was gonna see what the, <laughs> where that led me um, with no real plans, no real money either. I'd left my job um, to give myself a year to write. Um, I don't know what I was doing, I was 25 um, and an idiot. So um, so I pitched up in, in, in Bucharest and it was sort of about 9 p.m. at night. I got this Airbnb host I was staying with for a few days and um as i was heading to the apartment i just noticed there were quite a lot of police around but i thought well i don't know bucharest who knows (sighs) um and um he was a bit late arriving said i'm so sorry i've just been at the protest and i was like what protest he was like did you not see the police cars I was like yeah Um, and so he said would you like to come and i literally was like okay so put my bags down went out and walked into the biggest protest that they would had since 1989 um and there is a protest scene in the novel, which was very much lifted from that. And um, they were protesting against this, you know, very corrupt new government um, mm. uh, law that they were bringing in. And so 300,000 people in a square, um, you know, chanting uh, the Romanian for thieves. Uh, and we all got tear gas. And um, then I was swept off um, <sighs> by my new friends, um, taken to an underground bar in an abandoned palace. This is all within like an hour of, two hours of landing I don't know how, how it happened but I went to a few more protests and for successive nights became quite a sort of a crusader for Romanian justice briefly um and it was fantastic it was like that I could not have I mean obviously um you know it was very diff- a difficult time for the Romanians um but from my perspective selfishly as a writer it, I couldn't have asked for a, a more immersive um sort of uh start to writing a novel and 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 researching it and yeah it's quite spicy way
1: well wow, that's that is the last time i complain about a taxi picking me up late from the airport or
2: whatever
1: But the dictator's wife has a brilliant brilliant premise which is you know investigating the, the the woman behind the power if you like and very often these through history these dictator's wives they're often just reduced to a you know a joke like Imelda Marcos with her shoes but obviously readers novelists we want more so with your is it is it Marisa Popper the Black Widow in that I mean you yes. de- definitely delivered was it a case of kind of sympathy for the devil or finding humanity mm-hmm. in an anti heroine how did you how did you go about that
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was um, uh, sympathy for the devil is a great way to to put it. Um, yeah, so I'm just fascinated by these women. I've just so I've been um, uh, as a journalist. I've just been reporting on the 2016 U.S. election, um, and I've been watching Melania Trump. Um, I was living in New York um, uh, to 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 cover that story and. I was just so fascinated by her sort of sphinx-like enigma. And of course, she's not technically a dictator's wife, but this sort of idea grew out of that. Um, and, you know, as you say, people like Imelda Marcos, Asmara Sad, these people who are kind of footnotes in history, right? Um, or, you know, a sort of briefing, brief reference in the chapter of this dictator's life. Um, but, you know, these If you think about who, you know, I'm married, like, um, you know, you think about your relationship with your spouse, there's a a huge influence in your life. And I don't think it's any different when you're when you're a world leader. Um, And so I wanted to sort of go behind the scenes. And as you say, create an anti-heroine. It was important to me that she wasn't a villain. It was important to me that ambiguity was at the heart of the story because you know, that is what is fascinating. It, it, pure evil is boring, like the banality of evil, fine. Um, uh, and But also, she obviously couldn't be the good guy, um, morally speaking. And so I wanted to create someone where you're continually dancing on the shard, shard of doubt. Um, you know, you feel her influence everywhere, but she herself is kind of nowhere. And Laura, my lawyer protagonist, spends the entire novel trying to figure out what she is and... I don't know if she answers that question I kind of <laughs> want the reader to answer that for the for themselves um and yeah I, I think it's so interesting to have that um uh, ambivalence that ambiguity is is it's something that really I'm passionate about
1: Yes absolutely you 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 can't it- it's like I mean the book is very much just like taking a journey with someone and at the end you are very much left to decide for yourself which is a bold choice to make because I think the easy way out is to come down one way or the other and go there that's where I stand and particularly <laughs> when top. exactly particularly when you're you're dealing with with people who they know. They know these terrible things go on, and they still get up in the morning and, and go about their day. So, but also for this book, you now you said it's uh, it's sort of based on Romania, but you you essentially invented an entire nation. Is it is it Unusia? It's, yes. it's so, uh, how do you go about bel- creating a sort of a believable Eastern European dictatorship?
2: Yeah, it's. Um, uh, I felt I kind of had to. Do it um, first off because I didn't feel right taking an actual country yep. and you know rewriting their history that felt um, and also conveniently when you make up a country and someone gets in touch to say oh well this is not how the Romanians do it or whatever exactly, then yeah, you can yeah. say well actually um, <laughs> not that anyone has done that yet but you know matter of time I'm sure um, but it was uh, it was fascinating I guess what I the set the mood is really important to me and the themes that I want to put across so um, I read um, Jan Morris talking about Moscow, um, travel famous travel writer, mm-hmm. saying the thing about Moscow is the truth, it, it slithers away from you in the snow and is um, obscured by the footfalls of passing armies. And I love that sense of, you know, you can't get to grips. You don't know what is true. Obviously, you know, Cold War, um, uh, Iron Curtain, you know, secret police, um, that paranoia, that suspicion, reading people like Herton Muller, Muller, um, who won? I think the Nobel Prize. Um, as Roma- uh, um uh, Romanian writer, um, and you know, I, I I wanted to bring about that you know when Laura arrives, um, everything is coated in fog, and that really had to be the you know metaphorical um entry point into that into the country. Um, so yeah, setting setting that was a matter of sort of gleaning tidbits from uh real countries, and then yeah, sort of. Of scaffolding that with what I'd seen in yeah, Eastern Europe, my travels, and then trying to, um, yeah, push it from there. Yanusio is named for the Roman god Janus, sort of looking mm. East and West. Um, so I wanted that sense of in-betweenness, not quite knowing where you are.
1: Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Now, uh, on this podcast, we're obsessed with journeys of writers and, and writing habits. Now, you mentioned there at 25, you decided to take a year out and... Write uh, the dictator's wife. Uh, I mean, I, you know, you you just, uh, studied English at Trinity College. This was always on the cards, was it? This was always something. Was this always part of the plan? Or
2: no, not at all. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was determined to go and become company's news editor at Reuters, which which shows how much um, uh, I knew about myself at twenty-one. Um, and <laughs> so, so no, I always thought I wanted to be a journalist. I think in retrospect, that's because you know, I just didn't had no idea how to become. A novelist I liked writing I really liked but what I really liked was reading and this journalism seemed like the obvious way to go into something that was words adjacent I guess um but yeah the thing about journalism obviously in retrospect is it's about truth and about facts and about finding things out and um I kind of slowly realized that I wanted something more creative and um uh that was where I was finding thing, um fulfillment and so I had been writing I've been trying to right after about a couple of years um you know writing sort of before work after work on weekends um not really well not very well certainly and and then I decided to really take the plunge with with this year out which was a very indulgent thing to do and I was very lucky to be able to do it. Um, You know, I had some savings, but I lived at home for a while, all of this stuff. Um, And uh yeah and then and 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 sort of gave it a go. And I think it was very helpful. I don't think you need to do it um to quit your job. Um, I wouldn't necessarily advise doing it. uh, but it was very helpful for me personally to just be like, Am I, okay, I'm doing this and I'm going to write, you know, 500 words a day at the start. And by the end, I was doing sort of 4,000 words a day over that four month period of writing that first draft. Um, and, and now, you know, it's something that I can do without forcing myself. No, I still have to force myself to do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's not <true> <laughs> We can relate.
1: We can relate. So that's interesting. Yeah. So you were starting with about, was it 500 words a day and then yeah. getting sort of ex- almost like accelerating as as you went along is that is that the normal process for you
2: um not now so this is while i was all in eastern europe i was writing and traveling writing and traveling and i right. um uh would spend towards the end increasing amounts of time in one place just writing um and uh now i would say i'm more of a steady um steady pace so i try and do about a thousand words 1500 words a day if it's going well um but you forget that so much of writing is editing as well and that's very mm-hmm. unsatisfactory because there isn't a word count no. to, to sort yeah. of often it's the word count <laughs> decreased by the end of the day which yeah, is so minus numbers yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so it's sort of very frustrating that like oh yeah i do this amount of words a day and then actually you know, two thirds of the year you're spending, you know, taking those words out. So, you know.
1: <laughs> so what's um what's coming next from from you, Freya? I mean, we've you know we is there anything else on your list of things that you never thought you'd write that you're suddenly discovering that you're writing? Or
2: so I, I'm trying to. I, I'm developing the uh, idea for my third novel um, as we speak, and um, and I, I, I'm trying to be ambitious at this point is sort of first book you don't know if you can write a book at all um it feels like just getting to the end is a massive achievement which which you know it, it is 100 is second book you're still thinking but really can i do this was this a fluke um i'm hoping to to now means that you know it's it's not a fluke um, i can do this so now i'm trying to trying to push the envelope and and a lot of the your sort of writing um Uh, process Uh, a lot of the last couple of years has been realizing that just because I'm sitting at a desk um, typing doesn't really mean that I'm writing so much of writing is you know going for long walks and thinking um, you know like that ideas development is so invaluable Um, like you know when you're in the shower there's little ideas that pop out when you're not really thinking so much of my day now is spent trying to get into that space of like half focus it's like at the same time and really intense focus and also your mind is relaxed and it's very hard to push away yeah. all the presses pressings on your time so yes at the moment i'm very much trying to live in that space as much as possible and um and, and plan that out and, and start writing, writing that in the next in the next couple of months
1: and is there anything you bring across from your ju- journalism that that helps you as a writer
2: mm-hmm. yeah um a good question as so a lot um when i Well, as you say, I graduated, um, I did English literature. So came out writing these, you know, beautiful flowery sentences and everything was metaphorical and it was all so pretty. And then I sort of got to Reuters, um, which their style is, you know, not dry, but factual to the point. And I just, my editor was like, no, no, none of this, who, what, why, when, put it in there at the top. Yep. Don't don't get overexcited. And so uh, definitely that uh, I my definite tendency is to overwrite um, still. And and so I'm trying to always try hearing my editor in my in, in my ear, um, uh, Scottish, strong Scottish brogue, quite an angry Scottish brogue, <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, which is kind of a, a good and bad to have in your in your ear yeah so trying to just to, to, to simplify that but also you know trying to get the feel of something um you know with the journalism you have a very short space of time um uh and space to um get your reader there so bringing that up um making it tangible uh, why does it matter i think is really helpful
1: and as you're it, I think I've caught you at an interesting stage because, as you said, you're in that kind of thinking space where it's, ideas are starting to accrete and come together. How do you uh, keep note of those? Do you, do you have like a notebook, a document? Is there, is there some way that you keep track of these ideas without letting them drift off on the ether?
2: Yeah, so I, I mean, I have so many beautiful notebooks which I never use. Um, So I'm just, um, I've got these random scraps of A4 because inevitably, when I do have an idea, um, I never have any notebooks with me. Um, But what I really use is the notes app on my phone um, because I always have my phone on me, and so I just I write it down, and I know I say to myself. I will remember this, of course. And when I get to my pretty notebook, I'll write it down. No, no, yeah, it never it'll works, never happen. Yeah. It'll go. <laughs> so, so yes, I keep I keep track of that. And then I'll sort of, when I'm putting an idea really together, I'm really laying, laying the cables for that. I'll go back through that and see if I've just been talking rubbish this whole time.
1: Yeah, I know the feeling. And now you've, now you've got two books under your belt and you're uh, preparing for the third. Are there What are the biggest lessons that you've learned from those two books that you're going to carry forward to this third one?
2: Yeah, it's... Um, it's i mean there's so so many things um and and i just when i came to writing i did not really know i didn't know any novelists i didn't know anyone who was doing this and it's such a scary thing from the outside to mm-hmm. be like i can't do this who are all these people who know how to do it do they have powers like you know like how are they how are they doing this and 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 i'm not saying now one of those you know sort of anointed people at all but it's you, you know it is work out you can work it out um and you can do it and it is but it does feel like you are at the bottom of the mountain and so not looking too far ahead I think is really important yes. not you know just that blank page like opening and starting my second book I was like oh my god I'm gonna have to do this again um so taking it step by step word by word sentence by sentence just starting I think is really important getting to that state of half focus I already talked about in terms of developing your ideas um very important um Uh, you know spending time with your characters you know there's character templates you can get online like what color eyes like what cake do they like whatever Um, and those can be kind of you know I find them incredibly boring actually so as and I realized that when I was trying you know when I tried to do that um that actually this wasn't coming alive in my hands and it's about spending time with those characters and sort of like meeting them as you would a friend um almost um which I find really helpful um You know, and, but also COVID. You know, people said, oh, it's great. All these novels are going to come out of COVID because no one has anything else to do. COVID was actually terrible for for me anyway as a a writer because, you know, I'm a great believer in getting out there and Mm. seeing random things and that being your inspiration, you know, reading different books, um, seeing films that you wouldn't necessarily see, um, noticing things on the street. And if you're in your room, there's no Mm. external influences. So uh, my sort of mentor, um, and if you can get a writing mentor, I really recommend it. My mentor, Piers day. um um, he's a fantastic children's writer um I was saying to him once you know this idea I'm the more I work on this book the worse it's getting and he said you know you're wringing out the dishcloth and every time you're getting less um you get out there and 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 read things watch things um just live your life a little bit and, and and relax into that state where you're receptive again to ideas and you feel that freshness so I think that's really important um and then other things I've picked up, you know, making it worse. Like you, you, you know, sort of got to abuse your characters a bit. So if they've got like, you know, if their, you know, cousins died, no, make it their mum, make it their husband. You know, what, what, what how can you um, double down on that um, and making it true as well? Um, you know, if you're going to say something, say it like, how can you get to the essential truth of what you're trying to say? How can you push it? How can you push it deeper? How can you push further into yourself? until you're sort of hurting yourself by, by, by doing that. And that's what makes writing so exhausting, but so exhilarating, I think.
1: Excellent advice. Now I've got a dial back there. We love Piers Torday. He's been on the podcast. He's an amazing man. How do you get Piers Torday as your writing mentor?
2: (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, No, I, that was a, a, um, my husband's aunt um, knows him so fantastic. I and he very kindly very very kindly um, uh, agreed to have a drink with me and and has just been fantastic ever since then so um, you don't need um, a top selling children's <laughs> writer to, to be your mentor I should say um, although you know he's been great doesn't hurt um, does <laughs> hurt <laughs> um, just anyone who's like done this before in any sense um, it's, it will, will, will do so just oh, someone to fantastic. encourage you really That's absolutely well,
1: well listeners, listeners I'll put a link in the show notes so you can listen to that episode and Piers can be your mentor for that half an hour or so <laughs> um, but Freya this has been absolutely fantastic um folks uh, Dictator's Wife, Bird, Cage Library they're out there now grab them now and Freya we hope to speak to you again real soon.
2: Thank you so much Mark thanks for having me on a pleasure.
1: So Mark what
0: to unpack I have got to say a little bit jealous traveling and 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 traveling around visiting castles that's got to be a lot of fun well in the guise I, I- of writing a book.
1: Yeah, and uh, well, we talked last week about you know being a writer opens doors. Uh, so yeah, I, it, and the Monty Python castles as well. So I'm I'm, an, I, I'm jealous about that. I, I, I do need to go and sit because I think Dune Castle is in the Holy Grail. Um, but yeah, terrific. It's great stuff. And uh, like I say, there's a lovely tweet of Freya sort of talking in front of the castle, and it's 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 it brings it all to life. Really does. It does bring up this idea, though, that you
0: can get to you can dream a bit as an author, can't you? I think every author should have a bucket list of all the places in the world they'd love to visit, with the excuse that they might slip it into one of their books. But I mean, what <laughs> because like when you think about like just going on holiday, you just like oh, well, well, let's pick a location. Where do we want to go? But you know, picking something historical or something which you. I mean, I once I once went to, to Turkey and we visited Ephesus. Which was just this wow. unbelievable, like, it, it was a whole city that they discovered underground and they yeah, just basically yeah. excavate the whole city. And I was only about 12 at the time. And I remember standing in the amphitheater at Ephesus going, this is bonkers. Like, And I kept thinking, who was the bloke that was like, or the, you know, the, the, the person who was digging up the first ever and they found something and they kept yeah. digging and like, and they kept digging and digging and digging. You know, so it gives you an appreciation for for life and history and what's preceded us uh, and it nature. To-
1: it just- totally fires up the imagination. It and it doesn't mean you have to go to the far end of the world either. You know, you could just getting out and excited. Just today I was I was down in Folkestone, driving around Folkestone. And it's such a remarkable landscape. There are big chalk cliffs and everything just up the road from Dover and winding winding paths. And, you know, you get inspired by wherever you go. Just up the road here, a place called Reculver. There's a there's a Roman there used to be a Roman fort and the wall is still there. So I wrote a short story about you know the fact that Caesar might have walked through my back garden. Mm. You know, it's it's, it's uh, you don't have to travel to the other side of the world. There's, no. there's inspiration everywhere you go.
0: Well, I used to live in Cambridge and I used to just sometimes wander around see you know inside of like King's College and some of the cobbled streets of Cambridge and I had that thought. I used to think to myself who else walked down these streets and, and yep. all the incredible people that, that studied there and came up with amazing inventions and pubs where they discovered the, uh, the DNA um, oh, yeah, helix, yeah. you know, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. But um, it's, I, think-
1: I think, I think it's a question of just, we've we've talked about having your sort of story radar on as you go about your day, because there are, there's always opportunities, just overhearing conversations, seeing pe- what people do in a particular situation or whatever. And, you know, the, the 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 streets that you walk down or drive down or whatever. I mean, one of the things I remember we did a when I was around we did a book about dieting and they said a, a lot about dieting is just restructuring the way that you think. And one of the things they suggested was taking a slightly different route to work every day so if you cuz i used to walk from say waterloo station to you know to work uh, and i did i started mixing up i started taking different routes and you start noticing different things and hearing different things and and it just it fires off the synapses you know so so have that radar on all the time if that's you can that's great
0: yeah now if you've if you've ever gone on holiday or you've traveled somewhere or you've had a radar open, you've seen something that inspired a book. We want to hear about that. Like, like, drop us a note and tell us about something that you maybe when you were traveling and you saw something, or have you ever traveled specifically to research something that became either absolutely key in your book or was a massive disappointment? <laughs> you planned the whole <laughs> holiday around the travel and it's like, ah, oh, this is just, I'm not going to use this at all. Um, but we'd love to hear from you because it'd be fun to banter around that. Now, one of the other things that Freya mentioned was this idea of how important it is just to start.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's uh it's 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 the tricky bit. It's the really tricky bit. I mean, finishing is is hard, but just starting moving that boulder and You know, we welcome new listeners at the beginning of this. And if you are new and thinking of writing a novel, there's no better way to start than just writing 200 words a day every day and just, you know, nudging it along every day. And then you'd be amazed at how quickly it builds momentum. But also, if you've been through the process of writing a novel, coming back to the start is just as intimidating, if not more so, because you know what's ahead of you you know there's the first draft you know there's the second draft you know there's giving it to beta readers the you know there's giving it to editors and the copy edit and the proofread and everything all those hoops you have to jump through in order to uh to get through it but yeah just just starting is is a big win an absolute big win and it's something you know we celebrate in the academy as well you know so oh, uh yeah just 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 and it's um i start with a notebook that's what i start with and i will just start scribbling i know people get very precious about notebooks and they they think, oh, I don't. I'm almost too scared to put the words down. Get in there, make an absolute bloody mess, just scribble everything oh, down, do whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually okay. have a,
2: a
0: new notebook, Mark. Oh, uh, this, is, this is my current project notebook for the new book. And right. one thing I decided to do, I was going to do a bullet journal, I thought, no, I better use lines for this. Is I made a point of every single time I write, leaving a good chunky part of the margin free for me to right. scribble stuff in and I found that's been really useful because um so anyone write using a notebook like leave an inch on the left hand side and the right hand side of the page obviously a left page right page and and then you can scribble all your notes in which I find super useful because that's the problem I always had before as I could I'd want to scribble little things in there just wasn't the space to do it do you have any techniques like that with your notebooks Mark
1: no, just make it up. Right, mess. Post it notes. Yeah. So there's a lot of post-it notes. If I have to go back or or, oh. I, or or there's something I want to come back to. I mean the difference is you you're working in nonfiction, aren't you? And I think you need to refer back to stuff. Whereas what the way I work with the notebook is I I will start by going, okay, what's happening today? And I will literally write that down and what's what went what what was this character doing when we, we last saw him? It's almost him? like I just,
0: a, journal, a journaling of the writing process. Yeah, I get, I get into a
1: headspace yeah. and then I start writing the scene or an outline of the scene and then I type it up. And I'm always moving forward. I'm never looking back because mm. it all gets typed up into the Scrivener document and if there are notes then they go into scriv which is searchable. So you, do you do that immediately after you've written the notes? Like do you do the write, the note
0: writing, the handwritten notes and then the writing up of the notes in one session typically?
1: Depends. It depends depends on the session. So um today I did that. So okay. I there was there was one particular chunk cuz I've I've started on quite a substantial action set piece which I know I'm not going to get done in a day I'm going to have to you know do it in little bite-sized chunks so uh, I, I did the first chunk where I'm, we're encountering our character for the first time and things start to go wrong just that first phase so I just thought so I'm going to concentrate I'm not going to rush it I'm going to get inside the headspace of this character figure out what they're thinking and then things start going wrong and uh, I thought that's a good place to stop and I I reckon I had about 45 minutes left of my session, so I just started typing it up. So most of the time, that's how I work. Sometimes I'll do a massive load of handwritten stuff and then write, type it up the next time. And when I say type it up, I'm adapting it. Distilling it, yeah. It's, just, like, it's yeah, almost yeah. like the
0: next draft of it.
1: Exactly, exactly. What's yeah.
0: interesting, because Freya said so much of writing is actually about editing Mm -hmm. Um, But she also said that it's not as satisfactory as word count, but we have a solution for that, don't we? Because in the academy, we've got a whole course on editing. And one of the big tips which we will give you today is this idea, you create yourself a, instead of a word count goal, you create yourself a page goal on a daily basis or a weekly basis. Uh, Daily basis is better because it's easier to chunk it down. But, you know, three pages of editing a day. Uh, it gives you something to aim for. It, it it breaks up the slog. I mean, I find we've we just we've interviewed a lot of authors obviously over the years and we discovered that editing is something that authors absolutely love or they absolutely hate. <laughs> There's very few in the middle that are like, yeah, that's all
1: right.
0: It's like it's like it's it's the marmite effect, isn't it? It splits it splits the audience. So um anyone doing that, create create a create an edit page goal, I think will really help you on a daily basis. Um definitely something to look, look at. Um, the other thing that Freya mentioned was the idea of getting a writing mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, now she got a, an amazing mentor. Yeah, I mean, she pulled that. Out day. Bag, amazing. Yeah. Right? Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> I think it's very important that we talk about the, you know, why a writing mentor is essential, especially, um, if you're an indie author, you might not have an editor to work with, especially if you're not collaborating with, you know, like we talked last week, collaborating mm. with another writer that kind of acts as a bit of a cheerleader and mentor for you as well. Yeah. But for people that are there just on their own, not having anyone um, to just talk about what you're experiencing, to get a, to, to you know get a bit of feedback, to just you know explain the challenges that you're going through, that it's it's ninety percent of the of the challenge, I think, of writing when you're doing that on your own. So getting a mentor is absolutely
1: essential, isn't it? I wish I. would Had one when I started out, but I luckily I worked in publishing, so I could sit down with authors and go, okay, so what's 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 that about? You know, tell me about that. Rotating mentors in some ways. Yeah, exactly. It was it was it was was like the 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 greatest school ever. I think so. I Mm. was able to you know ask authors who had been around for a long time, and they give me you Know the, the sort of the, their experiences and what they've been through, which was really helpful. Yeah. Which is why I, you know, in the academy and in the BXP group, and you know, I, I do like if anyone's got a question, there's no such thing as a stupid question. I'm, I'm yeah, more than happy exactly. to, to share, you know, what I've been through. And, well, well, and
0: it's partly why the academy was set up as well because there is this total um, vacuum. Where people are really scared to go out and ask someone and maybe they
1: don't even know anyone that they can go talk to. Publishing's really bad at this as well. Yes. It's it's, uh although interestingly I noticed that Orion uh, our friend Sam Eads at Orion and Trapeze has set up a, what they've called an academy for authors who sign up with them. So they're getting authors in to sort of give talks and lectures uh, about, you know, the publishing process and how what, what it's all like. So it's interesting to see that publishers, I think HarperCollins are doing something similar, not an academy like our academy, but basically yeah. when you join, because when I was at Hachette, they did a thing called the Author Portal, which was you'd log in and it would say, "Okay, this is what a copy edit is. This is what this is where your books are printed." All that th- kind of thing. It didn't last, sadly. They shut it down after about a year. Mm. Um, but hopefully, this one will will last. But yeah. uh, it's publishing knows it's very bad at this kind of thing. It kind of assumes you've had a grounding in how traditional publishing works. And of course, most most and authors haven't got exactly. a Scooby.
0: Yeah. Well, that's why in the academy we have like a kind of a roadmap which people can dive into wherever they're at in the journey, whether yeah. they're starting out or whether they're halfway through a novel, whether they've published a few. I think it's it's really good. So if you want, I mean, I'm just saying out there, folks. If you want ready-made mentors, if you enjoy this podcast, and you want Mark and I to help support you through your writing uh, journey, then sign up to the academy. Like, come and apply today because this is what you get. You get myself yeah. as the life coach, and you get Mark as the craft coach, and between the two of us, we uh, we we kind of like work on all different angles of of everything that you're experiencing and being right as ourselves we also understand you know we really understand share like your pain like, <laughs> right, exactly which you need and actually that's the importance of a mentor i would never recommend finding a mentor that hasn't done what you're about to or currently embarking upon because yeah, that's the whole yeah. point of, that's the difference between a mentor and a coach there's a lot of coaches that have never actually done the thing they're coaching in i mean i yeah, you know, I coach only in the areas that I've done stuff in because I feel that's really important to have have that personal experience. But don't go and find a mentor who talks a good game, but they haven't actually lived it because they don't have the actual emotional and uh, you know physical experience of going through that.
1: So you know, you know what, you know what's really bad for that screenwriting. The number of screenwriting courses that are run by people who've never had a film made. I can't, you know, it's astonishing. Yeah. yeah it is, yeah. right? So just yeah. interesting. Just saying, yeah. folks. So yeah, Be join aware.
0: <laughs> academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. You know where it is. <laughs> All right, folks. So in the uh, in the extended uh, edition of today's podcast, we are gonna talk about the um, first book. The three book rule, I should say, Uh, what happens during the process of it's not just about the first book. There's a three book rule we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about this idea that uh, Fred mentioned around half focus. I love this idea of half focus. Mm. Like it's not necessarily sitting down to write. There's a lot of other things you've been doing. Uh, We're going to talk a little about the uh, who, what, why, when rule. And also Mark's going to dive deep into writing anti heroes. Dun, yes. dun, dun. So do not <laughs> miss that, folks. So if you'd like to uh, join us for the extended, just pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Sign up as a patron. And obviously, if you're part of the Academy, you get all those uh, as well as part of the membership there.
1: So, Mark, what's happening on the uh, wins this week? Uh, we got some uh, public declarations to start with. So uh, over on the BXP team, we've got a couple. Naomi Floyd, Uh, She says, I've been hovering in the background long enough. I'm stepping out my comfort zone and risking a declaration. The first draft of The Lady Before, which is her take on Lady Macbeth's backstory. Now, We were talking about antiheroes in the extended version. I mean, Lady Macbeth, the ultimate... Anti-hero, I think she's fantastic. Um, Naomi wants to get that completed by the end of July. No pressure. Any support most gratefully accepted? Well, Naomi has the support of everyone in the BXP team over on Facebook. So good luck with that, Naomi. And Lynn Clark, who uh, has been on the Academy as well, has, as has Naomi, actually. They're both uh, Academy members. Um, following on uh, from other public decorations, she says, I've been splashing this all over my socials. I guess that means I should actually edit the book properly instead of making lovely splashes. Now, Lynn has been experimenting with cover art. She wrote... Writes under the name Jocelyn Sordoni, and this is book one of the Awesome Chronicles, How to Breathe Underwater, which I got to dip into, uh, so to speak, uh, in the Academy, and it's terrific. Uh, YA fantasy, it's just terrific. Did it and make so you? Hold, she, did it make you hold your breath, Mark? It did. It did. Good. It made my heart beat faster. Made me hold my breath. All the good. All the stuff that good fiction does. So, yeah, she's she's made an official declaration. Christmas 2023 is going to be done. So fingers crossed there, Lynn. It's in the diary. I will be in touch closer to the time. Um, Fantastic. Phil Oddy, we've got a lovely... Uh, Phil Oddie has been one of the people on the 200 Word a Day Challenge who's been regularly logging uh, and we've been sort of, you know, chatting on, on Twitter and what have you. He's had a brilliant blog uh on how the 200 words a day challenge has changed his writing habits and helped him finish a draft and make him feel like he can finally call himself a writer it's really inspirational stuff i'm going to put a link in the show notes so you can check out folks because it's a really good blog oh. now and I- thank you and thank you to phil for writing that as well because uh, i read the article and it was
0: like absolutely lovely to hear just the incredible difference that it made made in his writing life i mean it's uh, it's brilliant so thank you for taking the time to write that blog about it phil that was brilliant
1: Now, something we don't talk about a lot, because it is unofficial, we've got the Unofficial Bestseller Experiment Book Club, which is a group over on Facebook, and Steve Gowland runs it. And he, I think every month now, he's interviewing uh, members of the BXP team about you know their books and the most recent one was with morgan delaney whose uh, book the squared circle is it, uh, just such a blast absolute really really good fun and morgan is a great interview as well so i'm going to put there is a link in the show notes the unofficial bestseller experiment book club where these are all sort of stored away so these are really good enlightening interviews so do check those out as well um over on the academy we've got karen's story now karen's story is just such uh, a, a such a boon to the academy because she's she's really inspirational. She's been entering all these short story competitions and she says, like buses, you wait ages for competition results to come along and then two arrive at once. Uh, she, this one, she's she's got a couple, uh, one from the Oval competition, congratulating her on making the long list for a short memoir piece, uh, shortlisted at the end of the month. And then she's got uh, a long listing email from the Farnham Flash uh, Fiction Competition. Uh, I mean, this is just, you know, This is just this thing of putting yourself out there constantly entering competitions, getting some kind of, you know, just giving yourself these mini deadlines, these, these constrictions, you know, this, I know so many authors really, really thrive on this. So congratulations again, Karen, this is just. Absolutely
0: uh, brilliant. And, and more power to you as well. I think you're absolutely right, Mark. I think it's good. It's, it's really good to do these things and, and also, like we saw with some some of the academy members, you know, when they get their first mm-hmm. short list, long list, or even win, it, the, the the thing that does to their confidence is absolutely huge. So if you're a, a writer that's struggling with confidence, then consider entering a few short story competitions. It's just a great way to get to get your feet under the table and uh, and to build up all that belief in yourself. Which you know we've always talked
1: about this in the podcast. It's
0: probably the most important thing you can develop.
1: And last but by no means least, uh, lovely unboxing from Sarah Moorhead, who's a member of the BXP team. We've had her on the podcast before. Sarah, of course, was a teacher. She taught Stuart Turton, that brilliant author. We had a great episode with the two of them. I'll put a link in the show notes for that. But she's just been unboxing her new book, The Treatment, which has a stunning cover, absolutely stunning cover. And we are getting Sarah back on the podcast later in the year when that comes out. So congrats on that, Sarah. Uh, Just great wins all around. Brilliant well done, stuff. everyone.
0: And thank you so much, everyone, for <laughs> sharing those wins. And if you have any wins you'd like to share, then where do they go to do that, Mark?
1: Come and find us online. We're at bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there where you can drop us online. Or on social media, we are Bestseller Experiment on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We are at Bestseller XP. And we're probably going to be on Meta Threads as well by the time this comes out. So uh, again, there'll be links in the show notes to look us up.
0: Brilliant stuff. And if you'd like to join the 200 word challenge, it's simply 200wordchallenge.com. If you'd like to join the bestseller experiment newsletter, get a weekly update with thousands of other fellow experiments, pop along to the website, bestsellerexperiment.com, and click on the newsletter tab. And a quick reminder, folks, as well if you are coming to end this podcast, you stuck with us. Thank you so much. If the Academy is of interest to you, it, the doors are open now. So pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and put your application in the beginning of September so Mr. State I hope you have a fantastic week happy summer to you I'm mm. just love we're off camping soon we're I'm really camping. looking forward yes. to that oh it's just and what you know what I'm going to bring with me I'm going to bring the uh, Ken Follett book The World's End it's like follow up no, right. to the ma- mega one I read last year camping but it's so big, I've decided I'm going to use it for twofold one for chilling out, relaxing in the hammock, and one for swatting the bears if they try and <laughs> poke their head in the tents because they're everywhere. Seriously, there are bears everywhere right now. In fact, weirdly enough, whilst we did this podcast, I've been watching, uh, obviously paying attention, but out my window, I've been seeing bald eagles being <gasps> battling with ravens. Wow. It happens every year in our back garden, bald eagles. Trying to steal the ravens' young and the ravens that are like massive, but a bald eagle's like huge. The ravens chase, there's like two or three ravens chasing, and it's a a whole cacophony of noise. You could probably even pick it up if you listen really carefully to the podcast, because I don't know if my mic was picking up. But yeah, the craziest of stuff that happens out. We're talking about nature. It's
1: really weird because just today I saw a murder of crows about 30 crows all, take, all taking off at once and it was like something from a horror it was like something from the crow folk yeah. it was it was like whoa that's like wow. an omen or something it's terrific yeah so yeah, yeah
0: so there you go the stuff that goes on whilst we're recording this podcast you have no idea folks <laughs> <laughs> brilliant well listen whatever you're doing this week make sure you have a great writing week get some words down and we can't wait to bring you another episode next week so it's a goodbye from Mark 1 and a goodbye from Mark 2 goodbye bye